yeah, why don't we talk about today's political climate? <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about we don't talk about today's political climate? <laughs> All right, man. So thanks for you guys for coming out um, today. Um, I've been wanting to get have, you guys on this podcast for a long time. We have two two special guests here. Um, you know, for I think for the longest time, Wendell and I have tried to cultivate the youth of our nation. Yeah, more me than you, because I've been <laughs> much more terrified of like the up and coming shooters. More like destroy them. Yeah, Rudy's been talking, saying that you kids ain't shit, right? And when I say kids, keep in mind these are young adults; these are not children. <laughs> and Wendell's just been scared of children, so yeah. Period. <laughs> but as, He's uh, facing his fears for today. our own selfish reasons. But honestly, though, I've been terrified of Austin for like two years now. From the last Bay Area Open, it was uh, normally I'd have to like, I knew if I was gonna make it to the finals, I would have to knock out Randall, right? And Randall was the big worry. But then you came out of left field and you started dusting everyone off. And then it, you know, Randall is still a, a great shooter, but I didn't worry about him. I had to worry about you because I saw you in the uh, semifinals or quarterfinals for every indoor shoot. Basically, like if you're trying to get good at archery, don't do anything that Wendell's talking about right now and that's obsessed about what other people are doing. It's good to be, but it's, it's good to acknowledge people because like I see Austin out there shooting, right? And I'm like, what is this guy doing? Because he knows something, you know what I mean? If yeah. you're shooting good, you obviously know something. Well, before we get too deep in this, I want to introduce our guest. Before I start, before, before, before uh, of ass here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right, we have Austin Watts and we have Sam. I don't know how to say it, pronounce it. Standifer. Standifer. I said it ten Standifer. times before he. Came I know, but out I, here. I, can't, I didn't know how to pronounce it properly, so I don't want to mess it up. So, so if people don't know Sam Standifer. Is it fair to say you're Sandica's protege? Yeah, I'd say so. Because yeah. I've been saying that for like three years. Now. I, I've been trying to become Seneca's protege, but he won't let me. So I even bought the shirt. I got the starter pack. Yeah, we bought the Seneca the Seneca shirt. Yeah, yeah, I, really. I want one of those. Oh, dude, we we ponied up. I think we spent like forty. I bucks even started on drinking and trying to put on as much weight as I could because <laughs> I thought it had well, something to do with balance. Seneca's the bomb. I actually got to shoot with Seneca today, and He's a good uh, guy. that guy is yeah, as fucking awesome really as he's always guy. been. And you know, years ago. I'm going to sound like an old guy, but I've probably been shooting less than you guys have. But I had to shoot against Seneca for State Field, and it was, like, one of the hardest shoots I've ever had because it was, like, Seneca was always a point, either a point ahead of me or a point behind me. It was never never anything easy. So I know that you shot under Seneca for a long time, Sam. Yeah, a couple of years. You know, I started with him, um, let's see, probably would have been 2017, I think was like my first freestyle year, uh -huh. and Seneca took me under his wing and showed me a lot about um, mostly shooting form and how to like properly shoot, because when I first started archery, I wasn't so much taught exactly the right ways to shoot. It was more about just, you know, hit the middle. You do whatever you need to do to get your arrows in the middle, mm -hmm. and so I developed a lot of bad habits, and Seneca helped me kind of overcome those and get proper shooting form and shoot the right way even if I'm not hitting the middle just shooting good shots was more important than a high score yeah you know so. cutting out low. so so one one thing like it's safe to say I mean you live here in Reading right so yeah. you're a straight arrow um, uh, Bowman um, club member, member club member right, right. so I mean you're around a lot of great shooters mm -hmm. like so how long how long before like some of like like Ben Hobbs and, and Seneca and these guys saw you shooting and before they were like well, we need to take this guy under our wing you know, actually, that kind of is oh, that's kind of a cool question. Um, so, my first time ever shooting a compound bow actually was for um, a school elective class. And so, I went out to Straight Arrow, and one of those days, Ben Hobbs is out there shooting with us. Yeah. And he and I had paired up to shoot for that day. And since then, he kind of told me, he's like, hey, um, you have a good natural form. He's like, you could probably go a long way if you decide to kind of kind of pursue it and, and push and try and get yeah. good. And so shortly thereafter, I went and got a, a compound bow and started shooting a little bit more. Started hanging out in the bow rack on my weekends, kind of thing. And that was Ben Hobbs. Uh, that was Ben Hobbs. Yeah, That's that awesome. would have been let's see, probably seven years ago now. So probably 2014 ish, uh, maybe even 20 end of 2013, something like that. Yeah, but. Um, in that kind of time is when I first met him and I didn't know who he was. I just knew he was a really good shot and that he was a Hoyt pro. I didn't even know his name at the time. It was until Ron Peary told me and kind of explained to me how how much a heavyweight he was, so to speak, in archery. So when Ron was explaining it to you, this was all while Ben was out full draw, right? <laughs> well, yeah. He was able to tell you the whole story. Yeah, like, in about 15 minutes or so. Probably. He, yeah, Ben probably was halfway through his shot cycle by then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's Austin, funny. you're also pretty close with Ben. Yeah, yeah. That uh, Ben and I have—I've known Ben for quite a few years, and then we've uh, definitely got to know each other a lot better over the last year, considering 
I'm dating his daughter, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I mean, I figured, I figured, like, like they saw potential in this guy, and Austin's over here going, "Well, maybe I need to date his daughter just to get to bed." <laughs> yeah. No. <I'm> <laughs> Austin, when did you start shooting? Oh shoot! I've been shooting a bow since I was probably five years old. For a long time, because your dad shoots, right? Long time, yeah. My dad used to shoot pretty good. Uh -huh. He still shoots he pretty, still good. Shoots he has pretty his, good. He has his days where he shoots really good. Mm -hmm. He beat me at the state 3D shoot uh, a couple years ago. Uh -huh. you know, he has his moments where he shoots really, really good. Um, and I kind of grew up going to all these little local 3D shoots with him. He kind of just tagged me along, and I'd shoot with him. And um, you know, I I never really was good at it. And I developed really, really bad habits. So I went from shooting a trigger release mm -hmm. to shooting fingers, got target panning with fingers, switched to back tension, got target panning with back tension, switched to a thumb button, got target panning with a thumb button. So I was out of options, so I quit. No I just, shit. I just completely left archery. For how, how, long, how long did you quit before you got back into it? A couple it? years. Wow. I was done. I could, I mean, there's, it was to the point where I, I broke three arrows under 20 yards missed the whole hay bale and shot the shed and blew my arrows up because i collapsed and let the arrow go as my bow was halfway through the through the draw cycle uh -huh. and i just i was like well i'm i'm obviously this isn't my sport i still want to hunt but i just can't shoot a bow yeah there's there's nothing i can do i tried everything and it was it was over with um and i just remembered as I was growing up, this is fast forward a couple years, when I started getting more interested, I, I went to the my local shop and I was probably only 14, 13 years old at the time. And he had me just do little stuff here around the shop and just being in that environment, talking to people who wanted to hunt, kind of wanted to get me back into bow hunting. So that was kind of my main goal is, okay, I don't, I don't really care about the competition side of it. I just want to be able to hunt. Yeah. Because I miss, you miss out on so much when you don't bow hunt. There's yeah. rifle seasons, but some of your best hunting is during the archery. Uh -huh. Especially for as sure. a as a miner, right? I mean, you have yeah. in California. There's a lot of opportunities. There's for, a, there is a lot of opportunities. Yeah, that's and, awesome. Um, you know, so that's what kind of wanted. It kicked me, kickstarted me back into wanting to get back into archery, uh -huh. and um, so I started picking my bow up again. I still was, I wasn't as bad as I was when I quit. I wasn't collapsing, but I still had target panic really bad. And it got to a point where it's like, okay, I either need to take this very seriously and I need to overcome it, or I just need to give up and, and basically say this is, you know, this is the end. And I'm not mm -hmm. usually just kind of the guy to give up right. at, at the time. I was like, okay, I, I need to figure this out. And um, I'd always wanted a target bow, like my dad's bow. You know, it's got, remember the old Hoyt on the Contender Elites yeah. and the... Yeah, and the um, what was the other one that they had? They had a whole series. Van like Angelique. The Van yeah. Angelique. Yeah. 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 Uh, they had the, like the lightning paint colored job. Oh, on yeah. Ski. Yeah. Like I have one. I used to shoot that Contender Elite. The, it was, it like, was the, like the red one, right? The red was yeah. cool. I had the blue one. That was I like the, the best. That was the best red Hoyt ever did. Oh, I, I love that thing. Ever since I saw my dad's, I was like, I need to have one. And I always thought it was so cool he shot with a scope. I was like, I just want to bow with a scope on it. I don't care what it is. <laughs> yeah. Put it, put it on a recurve. I'll shoot it. I just want a scope and one of those cool colored bows. So let's talk about your target panic because this is something where, I mean, I, I want to say that like probably the one thing that probably is holding any archer back is, is like that anticipate that target anticipation. And that. Oh yeah. So like, what did you do to, to work through it? What was like, like, like when you had your, okay, this is like, you had your, your like final moment where like you want to get good at this and you want to work hard at it. Like, what, did you find a coach? Did you, did your dad help you? Like, well, how did this all go down? So, I, I did have a coach. Um, so, downrange in Chico used to have an indoor range. And at the time, Randy Raglan was working there. Yeah. And that was the time I was starting to pick up a bow again. And I could talk to him about it, about my target panic. And he said he could relate. He had target panic back in the day. And one of his coaches that really helped him out was Russ Weatherby. And so his shooting style that helped cure his target panic was he'd take a back tension and set it so slow you almost couldn't get the, the thing to go off. And he would just make you work through it. You'd have to feel the whole shot cycle through that release until it fire. You'd have to pull your brains out to get that thing to go off. And so that's what Randy had me do. He had me set my release. It was I actually, the one I learned off of was that HBC small. No and I set that thing as slow as I possibly could. Is, and that, I the, just, is that the one that Wendell just bought? No, I get I kept I kept my other one. My, okay. That's like my uh, I don't know my little vintage release right. that, I, that yeah. I keep around. 
you know, I've killed deer with it. You got some memories yeah, that's, of it. Yeah, that's like my little memory release. Oh, that's cool. Um, You're going to have it with you on your wedding night. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm going to have it in my pocket. Good luck. <laughs> you always carry this release with you? I was like, yeah. I don't think you actually would approve of that. But, um, so oh, I Wendell, just, you're writing this down, right? So, so, basically, so basically what I did was I pulled my sight off, and this was also, I, I did a lot of video watching too. Like, Real Wild did a, a video. It was an old-time Real Wild video. I watched all these different ones, and, and kind of the the, bet, the biggest thing was blank bail. That's what they all said was just blank bail. Learn learn how to sh- execute shot. So I pulled my sight off so that way I can't even aim because what people tend to do is, yeah, they're blank bailing, but they start aiming at arrow holes, and yep. that that uh-huh. defeats the purpose of blank bailing is when you're trying to aim at arrow holes. You don't want to know where you're going to hit. You just want to work on that execution of your release. Uh-huh. Get this timing down yeah. on your release hand. So set it super slow so that way it wouldn't even go off hardly. It took me forever. I just had to sit there and pull and pull and pull and pull. Finally it'd break and I'm not even, I'm just looking at my target. Half the time I close my eyes, half the time I just look at nothing. And I did, I probably shot 200 to 250 arrows a day for four months. Bad getting it done. dude. Because I was like, okay, when I'm and I and the thing is, guys, if you guys have target panic, is don't try to take shortcuts. The second you take a shortcut, you're already you're already hurting yourself. It defeats the purpose. You're gonna start back over. Because the thing is, is I tried to do a shortcut for like the first two weeks. I blank bail for two weeks, and I was like, okay, I want to see results. I have to do it. And you get back in, you're you're at the top of the world. You think you cured target panic. You put a target face back up, and you want to hit the middle. You, that's all you wanted because before you had target panic, you were struggling hitting the middle, mm-hmm. and now you're like, okay, I figured it out. I should hit the middle now. That's the wrong way to look at it because the thing is, you're gonna want to hit the middle so bad, and you haven't worked on your aim for two weeks. You've yeah. had no practice in aiming. You've worked on your release, but you have no aim. So your aim is going all over the place. You're aiming at the next Vegas five spot or Vegas three spot. You know, you're aiming at the wrong target and then pretty soon you punch one. As soon as you punch it, you revert back to your old habits. There's mm-hmm. no cure. So the best way to do it is do it for a long period of time and just force yourself to do it. And then when you put a new target up, realize that your aim isn't going to be good. It's not going to be great at all. You're going to have the worst aim you've possibly ever had in your whole life. But the biggest thing is you still have to pull through that shot like you've been blank bailing for a month or you revert completely back to your bad habits. And you'll shoot the worst scores ever. I mean, when I put a Vegas face up, I averaged like a 284 when I was punching bad. I shot like a 250 for the first round. Like I I missed the whole three spot completely. But then all of a sudden, as I worked through it, it stopped becoming... Uh, my aim started getting better because I was incorporating that back into my shot was my aim and I still had that muscle memory from my release because I never let myself revert and all of a sudden you see those two come together and that's where you start seeing your improvements all of a sudden I'm shooting in the 290s I've never shot in the 290s and then it was 294 and then it was 295 and then Uh next thing you know I was shooting in the 98s and 99s and then you know it's not a fast process it was a year and a half before I shot my first 300 yeah I like that yeah. A lot of people think there's a quick fix or a magic pill or something. And it's no. always hard work. One it's, way all, or another. It's, it's just all curing that bad habits until you you get to see those two combine, and then it's just keeping on that men, that keeping your your mental game strong in that aspect is is not allowing yourself to get back in that target panic scenario. The, mm-hmm. the most the common denominator that I'm seeing here across a lot of people that we talk to, and just in general from some of the best shooters in in the world is. Like there, there was a point either when they got started because I mean, Rio Wild even had a period where he was he couldn't shoot the bow, yeah. right? And his dad had him do like a similar process, like what you're talking about, where it was like he had a blank bow and he had to do it for a month before he he was even allowed to put a sight on his bow. Yep. And so I think I think a lot of people think that you just naturally good, and I know that triggers Wendell a lot because I know people have like walked up to him and been like. I, like you're just wasting your talent because you're not a pro this year or whatever and it's like actually like the dude works his ass off you know yeah you know so. I think the thing that throws went throws people off about Wendell is the fact that when he came in to start shooting like at the time I didn't even know who Wendell was and all of a sudden I see like him at the top of the leaderboards like okay I've been shooting I, mean, I wasn't at the top of the level but you know when I was a kid growing up I still wanted to be at the top of that level yeah. I wanted to be the top guy in the scoreboard no matter where I was I wanted to be the top and so I'd always pay attention to who was shooting good that day. You know, Randy Raglan was always on top. There were all these guys on top. And then all of a sudden, Wendell Souza popped up. I'm like, who the fuck is I don't you? even know who that guy is. And then he just stayed there. I was like. No, it's the same. I, I always watch the top also because I figure the guys at the top 
Like they know what's going on. Like, and you can kind of watch. I mean, the same thing with you know white people watch pros. They're like, you know, yeah. maybe I can learn something by watching this guy. And what's great about where we shoot, you know, up here in like in Redding, Northern California, or anywhere doing the Outlaws, you see the guys on top. You can walk up and ask them. You know. Yeah, and the thing is, is at least in the, in in this group that we shoot with around here in Northern California. I don't really know too many people. I mean, I, I personally really don't know anybody who, if a guy was struggling and had questions, that they would just turn their nose to him and completely... Exactly. Yeah. The only thing that I, I can personally say, if somebody has a question for me and they're, and they're seriously asking me, all I want to do is help. I don't want to see anybody, you know, not be that their best. Uh-huh. I tell a lot of people, they're like, some, some people walk up to me and go, oh, hopefully one day I can shoot as good as you. I go, I hope you do. I really hope you do. Because we all get better. You, I hope you end up there. We all get I better. I don't want to see you continue hope, to struggle. I, I, I feel the same way. However, I do get annoyed when you do tell someone and you do try to help people. Oh, and then they don't and listen. Then, to you. And then they don't listen. And then they're yeah. just looking for you to yeah, like. Yeah, some people are hard learners. Or they're looking for the magic pill. Or they're know? looking, or they want you to like magically say what they're doing is correct. And then they're like validated by That them. is the frustrating part. Because there's, there's people that ask me questions all the time. And, or don't and, practice. And they're it's like, like, they don't put the time in the boat. Because the they could ask me the same question I did about the target panic and, and, and how I got rid of it. And I tell them that the true answer and try to help them out on it. And they're like, well, you know, I've tried doing this and this. And this works for me, and I'm like, okay. okay then why'd you ask me a question? <laughs> right. like, you I mean, if, if you don't want to know the answer, then don't gonna, ask me the question. They're gonna right. come but, in the next day and be like, let me buy that thumb button release right there. Yeah, but if I had somebody who, if I had somebody who legitimately came up and was willing to try, and they wanted to get an answer and give it a shot, then heck yeah, I'm gonna give them whatever answer 100 I can bucks, give them. A hundred bucks will fix any problem you have for, for about, about like, oh yeah, two and a half sure. weeks. Yeah, for about two and weeks. Then, oh yeah, it's like right. Yeah. I went through that as spurt. As I just, honeymoon period exists, then you're going to be picking yeah. up yeah. that point. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, awesome. I went through that. I'd buy a new release, and I'd be like, dude, this thing smokes. And then two weeks later, I'm like, I hate this stupid thing. I can't shoot it. And then I buy another release, and I'm like, oh, this thing is great. I, I've never shot this good. And then two weeks go by, and I'm like, well, I'm shooting as bad as all the other ones I bought. Yeah. Dude, when I was still really fresh, and, and I was the, the six handicap guy for Emerson, I was doing the same thing, like new release every two weeks or new stabilizer or whatever. And Emerson was like, hey, do me a favor. Right before this outlaw kicks off, don't change anything for six months. He's like, you're going to shoot the whole outlaw. Don't change anything. And then a couple months after, just don't change anything. I didn't change anything and got so much fucking better. Oh, yeah. I mean, granted, I could, you know, a bunch of stuff happened where I started shooting a lot too. And that, yeah. that all helps the half, hard work, you know, principle. Half of the get the getting to the good part is getting comfortable with your equipment. If you're not comfortable with your equipment, you're not going to shoot to yeah, that if level. If you're always changing your gear, too, then you're, you know, yeah. it's always I mean, going to be something. I mean, don't look at me for not changing stuff. I shoot. I change stuff all the time. Yeah. The, the, my bow that I went there, to there's a, with. Well, was, there's a point, You've though, also put in thousands yeah. and thousands, yeah. if not millions of arrows by oh, now. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, a point, though, where you have to adapt. I mean, like... There's a difference between just changing things for exploratory reasons, or as opposed to I'm making a change because I know exactly what the effect is going to be. Yeah, you know, like you know. um, But uh, so, Sam, I got a question for you. Um, When you know, so you mentioned earlier that you were you started off with the bad habits, and then Seneca and like Ben are taking under the wing and showing you things. Did did uh. Did you, where, where, like, how long before you started throwing down some scores? Like, did it, did it take you to go through your process? So, when I was shooting, like, there was probably a four-year period before I had any kind of serious coaching. So, these habits had been, like, deeply ingrained into how I was as an archer, you know? So, I was shooting at my best days, maybe, on, like, a 42 target round, between 850, 870. That was the best I could shoot. You know, and then I had Seneca start working with me in the bow rack and I mean, whether it was taking my side off or going to five yards and just shooting at a blank bale, doing that kind of thing. Um, slowly and incrementally breaking down those habits one by one, not trying to do all of them at the same time. And one thing that actually really helped me a lot was um, just sticking with one release. That was a huge thing for me. Like I've been shooting for going on, let's see, September will be my eight year mark, I think. And um, I've only ever shot three releases. I just bought a brand new one, a brand new HBC, so I'm starting to increment, like incrementally start using that one. But um, for about a five year period, I was shooting a true ball fulcrum, just only that one. Yeah. You know, and what it became is I was so familiar with that release, I knew how to shoot that one. You know, and there was a little bit of fear of if I get a new one, I'm not going to be able to shoot it as well. But it was also about, I know that when I use this release, I can make good shots consistently. 
you know, so I kept using it until there came a point where I was comfortable in my form and my aim was good. I was shooting good scores. You know, I was starting to get over the 900 barrier. Um, and yeah, actually two years ago, two and a half years ago now at Cougar Mountain was the first time I even shot over 900. I shot an 897, I think the week before, and then I jumped up to a 906. Yeah. And then I did, as soon as I made that, I was like, okay, sweet. I know what I'm doing now. You know, and my, there was a little mental like break I found where yeah. I was starting to get comfortable. Did you ever give straight. yourself like a like a, a target number? Because like out here, it seems like everyone like when I got started, which is a lot, you know, a while back, like seemed like 900 was like the like the benchmark where like you start to really take it seriously. Like once you break that 900, mm-hmm. you know, did you have like a set goal that you were trying to hit, or was it just you're just trying to? You make know, it better than last make time. Make it better than last time. Yes and yes and yes. You know, so like um, during that time before I was starting to shoot 900s, I wasn't taking th- anything seriously like at all. I was just shooting to have fun, shooting to be with my friends kind of thing. As well as, I mean, yeah, I want to score as good as I can, so I'll try and beat my last last shoot score. But once I got over 900, it started becoming this thing like, okay, I shot a 906, let's go for a 908 and then a 910 and then see where we can go from there. Yeah. You know, just try, not trying to do huge jumps, but trying to do, you know, a couple of points uh-huh. or even trying, uh, now I'm just starting to, because it's been a couple of years since we've gotten into these shoots, I'm trying to match my, my scores from the last ones. Yeah. You know, so I'm trying to match like that, that 906, you know, trying to yeah. get to that point and start, start again and then work my way back up. You know, I mean, I took quite a break, almost a full year's break this last year because I went over to, went away to college and um, I only got really to shoot twice within about a nine month period, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so I got a lot of my muscles were like gone, you know, I couldn't yeah. really aim well, I couldn't really put them in the middle at 80 yards like I used to be able to. But the one thing that stuck was that form, you know, so it was really easy for me to start over and be like, okay, I know these are good shots and I know I'm not hitting the middle, but that's okay because they're still good shots. You had a foundation you know, to build I, on. Yeah, I had that foundation to build on. What was you know, your personal so, best, Sam? My personal best was a 911, and I shot it. Ooh, that would have been early season two years ago. Mm-hmm. At I want to say Lodi. I don't quite remember what range it was. Awesome. What's your personal best? Uh, 19. 919. Mm-hmm. You shot a 920 at Yuba City. No, that was a 19. That was a 919. Yeah, was I shot. Was that your best? That was that that day, or is it you've done it a few times? That was that day I'd shot because last. Last year when I shot Spenceville, that was my personal best. At the time, I'd never been a zero mulligan. I'd always, I'd always shot 17s. Like that seemed like to be my cap. And then I shot a 918 at uh, Spenceville. Yeah. And then I came back and shot Spenceville again. I shot a 19. I've shot uh, uh, at the Feather River one uh, up in Loyalton, which I, I love that course. It's a little more laid back, and they have just giant dots. I shot a 21 there. <laughs> But so that one was a that one had like a bonus target that was worth like forty four points at the end. When I was when I was like first trying to like come up and do the same thing like you guys are doing, right? Um, I was shooting ago. a lot. No, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, I was shooting a lot. So I steal cables. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> well, I I uh, I was shooting a lot with Randy Long and Rubio, mm-hmm. and and like Lucky Rubio best. was always messing with me, man. Like. And so, like, I hadn't shot a 900 yet, and, like, it was just in my head so bad to shoot a 900. And we're at Diablo, and, like, and uh, the very last target of the day, like, I know that, I know I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, right? And then Rubio goes, well, Rudy, if you 22 this target, you're going to shoot an 8, you'll shoot a 901. And then, <laughs> and then he's like, so make sure, make sure to, like, <laughs> he said some don't little smart-ass comment. Don't and then fuck it like, up, Yeah, Rudy. he basically was like, don't fuck it up. And, like, sure enough, I fucked it up. And like, I, I shot, like, an 899. I didn't know I Rubio like, would do that. <laughs> and that's, yeah. a, that's a mental game working for you. He's trying to help you out there. Yeah, it's true. He's he, making he, you stronger he, in the in long his run. One little, in his own little way. And then today... He, he, he was in the target behind us and he was like giving me a little bit of like hey Rudy he's like what are you looking what do you see down there what is that target telling you right now <laughs> and I'm like I don't know Rubio like, like, why, don't you just, like the, why don't you just get away from me yeah, Rubio get the fuck away from me Mark <laughs> get that voodoo shit and, he, and he gives me some advice and I was like you know that's the first time you've given me like helpful advice while we're shooting that we were trying to destroy me dude I so when I saw Seneca it's the first time I saw Seneca today in like well over a year and I saw him, he was sitting down, he's playing with his elite, you know? And I walked over, I was like, oh, Seneca, it's so great to see you, you know? 
Well, what you know, me and Seneca are always really gay for each other, just because yeah. we've shot yeah. fucking events for <laughs> yeah. against each other nonstop. And he, he and means fuck. happy in the in the actual definition. <laughs> I mean, of the homo, not homosexual. I love you, Seneca. But anyway, um. I'm sitting there talking to him, and I hear Rubio out of the back. Well, Susan, did you claim one handicap point? You cheating son of a bitch! Blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, get away from me, Mark! Get out of my head!" You know, it was funny. Is like the first time I saw um, Seneca was like he he had taken a bit of a hiatus, right? And I was like, "Oh, who's the Seneca dude?" Right? And like, totally nice guy. He's like friendly, going around shaking everyone's hand. He's like, "Hey, man!" I, like, 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 in, yeah, in, in, very in, nice dude. He, he was like, "Yeah, I haven't shot in a long time. My name is Seneca. What's your name?" Like, like, mm-hmm. like formal introduction right like super like and i'm looking at his bow and i'm like this dude's got like this old like energy 35 and he's got a trophy taker taker. and i'm and i'm sitting here going what's this guy steal man i mean he's like a nice guy but i'm like (laughs) and then like he throws on like a 918 or something and i'm like what dude he sold me on trophy (laughs) takers i bought one of those old ones for my dad for his hunting bow and I was like, this guy's a badass. Like, you know what's funny is that Trophy Taker moved on to his Victory 37, which my dad now owns, and has the same rest on. So that Trophy Taker has not died. It is still on <laughs> that still boat. It's still working. It's still, still, still producing <laughs> results. The Trophy Taker never die. <laughs> That's awesome. There. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, I have uh, a, there's a couple questions I want to ask you guys. Like, we got a lot of good info from you guys, but um, like, we'll start with the basics. Is like, what what boats do you guys shoot? I shoot the Hoyt Invicta. 40. Hoyt Invicta, forty. Yeah. Spiral cam. Yeah, SVX cams. Sam, Sam I shoot that um, the Hoyt Prevail forty with an SVX as well. Nice. Oh man, that's yeah. a Hoyt. What kind of sights you guys running? Uh, I'm shooting the Excel. Uh, shoot, what's the name of that sight? It's the Achieve XP. Yeah, you should know this. And by the way, Austin works in a bow shop. I do. <laughs> I always forget it, though, because I'm dealing with hunting sites 90% of the time, so I would have said AccuTouch. Dude, you right on the cusp being a pro shooter on top of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be quoted in a magazine someday being like, I shoot that Achieve. Oh, you know the one. The, you the, know the, the, the one that's the, the, the target the Achieve Ultima yeah. from Shibuya. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, Sam, what are you shooting, man? Um, I'm kind of shooting a little Frankenstein thing. I've got a Sherlock Phoenix QA. With a spot hog spark as my actual nice, spark. dude. That spark is legit. Oh, I'm kind of bummed that they don't Rubio make those and anymore. Emerson both run the spark. I've, I've got like three sparks. I ran that thing forever. It's still one of my favorite lenses, favorite scope to this time. Yeah, to this day. All, all that scope needed was someone to like 3D print like a little like get shade the on fuck it. out of here. I almost flipped the goddamn table over. <laughs> no, I actually that's exactly what I needed. And so what I did is I took a um, I had like these Star Wars playing cards and I flipped one inside out and rubber banded to the outside. Wait, wait. Smith actually used to make them for that scoop for a while. No, he had them cut out. Yeah, he had a carbon oh, fiber right. yeah, he, had, yeah. he had the cut out for the light. I, right. I took one of the old uh, specialty. They had the the big old giant shade deal, and I just shade took a velcro. velcro and and yeah. It was halfway on the site, halfway <laughs> off, but it did a better job than not having one on there. Yeah. Uh, what kind of lenses do you guys shoot? Uh, well, I shoot. I try to do a different lot, a lot of different lenses. As of right now, I have an IR Perfectium Feather Vision lens in there. That's what I shoot. What what power do you shoot? I shoot a six. Six power. So I like it, but the problem is I don't know if it's my eyes or what. But I have not found a lens that I can clear up. Like I am running the blue clarifier just to make it somewhat. What size aperture? Uh, I'm running whatever the middle one is. Have you tried going like the smallest aperture? I've tried going small. It makes it, it just, it doesn't clean it up enough. What um, peep system do you use? I shoot the specialty podium peep. Ah, specialty. Yeah. I, I shoot a shrewd. I, you know, got they're, very they're, good. They're all good. A peep's a peep, you know, as far as I'm concerned. But the thing is, is like, for me, it saved me so much more money going to one of those ham skis or the podium peeps because... You used to, I used to shoot the old hooded peep, and every time you want to change your aperture size, and you, you had a clarifier, and you had to buy another $45 clarifier yep. in that aperture until yeah. you change it again, and you, let's say you didn't like that cl- clarifier. Yeah, if you, you buy, buy another one. For the one-time purchase of yeah. $189.99. <laughs> oh, more than that. You can have like, more like, just the lenses in the little aperture. Like, and you can find those like, at West Coast Archery. Yeah, more like the sale of your kidney, you can get a peep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? no, no, I agree. What are you, what are you running, man? Actually, um, I have that specialty hooded peep 
<laughs> I have that thing you guys are ragging on. Yeah. I have that thing that you guys say is horrible. Hey man, it, it makes a circle on the accent and that works. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a uh, clarifier? Or? No, I actually never shot a clarifier. Oh. Uh, you shooting a four power lens? Six. Six, six power? I'm shooting a six. It's actually the original. I think it's a plastic lens that came in yeah, the sparks. Yeah, those sparks. Yeah, for whatever reason, they were a pla- They were like a polycarbonate lens. or. I think uh, Feather Vision was actually making it for them. Like, uh, they were at, at the, yeah, they were at the time and it was, they don't have glass lenses and those lenses honestly were some of the best lenses I've ever looked through. I used to be able to shoot nice. a six without a clarifier in that spark lens. And I didn't even I, know that was a thing. Yeah. yeah it's an, it's yeah. like, it's not a, it's not a glass lens and there. I didn't have any glare issues. That thing cleared up perfect for me. And I tried to look for them and see if I could get them and make me one. And they've kind of, so I got, I got a couple of them. Right. Um, but I, unfortunately I got them with the. That only fit the hog, the hog oh, mob, right? Yeah. But I do have the lenses, and so like the one that they had stopped making, like long before they discontinued the scope, is they had with the one with the drilled lens, and so like uh, Buck showed me how to. We call, I started calling it the Buck Hole, and uh, <laughs> basically it was like we took a black dot and stuck it right over the drilled lens, and then we would just stick a fiber right through the middle of it and like held it in place, and then you could yeah. turn on that light. And so it just had a nice little contrast. I, lo- I love those lenses. Those lenses were perfect. I yeah. I don't know. I mean, every every glass lens I've shot since that Spot Hog, I haven't been as happy with it since I shot those those old Spot Hog lenses. So, I gotta, let me uh, ask you another question here. What what do you do uh, like on your on a basic setup? So like, this is uh, 2021. There's the new Hoyt, you know, super duper uh, target bow. Like, what's the first thing you're gonna do? Like, what? Like, like, do you do you just take the out of the box, set it up, and just start shooting and enjoy it, or do you have like, no. what's your process? Uh, so I, it's kind of the same way I set up bows too. So I, I work at an archer shop, so pull it out of the box and uh, slap my rest on, get it where I want it, and then I basically set the knock point. I kind of, I ideally like to start out with the arrow running perfectly through the middle of the burger hole. A lot of the bows, that's where I find that it holds the best for me. And then I fine tune it from there when I have the bow set up. So I run that arrow right through the middle of the burr hole. I set the square through there, mark it on my string for the knock point, the bottom knock point. I want it there so my arrows run through the middle of the burr hole, do tight on knock points, throw a D loop on, and then from there I go straight to timing. And I time the bow and figure out where the timing is, throw it on the draw board, make sure that the draw length's where I want it to start out with. Um, then I start putting the rest on get it so and uh, start putting all my accessories on get it to shoot a bullet hole if I can get get it to shoot that and that's just a starting point and then I kind of go from there and figure out where I like the bow uh-huh. what kind of balance you want on your, yeah, your bars every bow is a little different I mean yeah. Rudy you can say from your Prevail to your Invicta holds very different, different. Yeah. very different so you know I usually always start out in the beginning of my indoor season uh, or really any any season, anytime I get a new bow, is I completely strip off all the weights. Like I might have a couple weights here and a couple weights there, mm-hmm. and then I figure out where it likes it, and then I build off that ratio. Yeah. And, and I, I think ratios aren't really the correct term for it. I mean, some people are mean. like, oh, it has to be one to three or one to four. Or, no, I get yeah, bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. It'd be different one to two. I, yeah. It doesn't matter. I, I can have it off. It's just wherever it holds better. Sometimes I feel like in the day, I'm like, I got too much front movement. I need to throw an ounce on the front. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what about what about weight wise you running? Uh, right now I think I have fifteen or sixteen on the front. And I've got twenty eight on the back. God damn these beefy kids, man! <laughs> got it. That's the most weight I've ever run. Yeah, especially I mean I've I've run fifteen ounces before, but it was on a thirty inch bar. I'm uh-huh. running a thirty three inch bar. God damn! So <laughs> it's even more. I mean really, Jesus it, really it, Christ! It, it's more weight because you're adding more. Dude, leverage. that bar is like Dude, we're longer this, than Wendell from the Ben <laughs> Hub. This is like the Ben Hub school of heavy lifting, man. How about you, oh, Sam? Yeah. What do you got? I have that same 33-inch bar, <laughs> except mine's actually a little bit larger, so it's a little heavier. But, um, <laughs> no, I have 20 ounces on the front. Fuck! <laughs> and on the back? I have 13 on a... I kept... Oh. Yeah, you like a 25-inch bar out it the back. It was a 15. <laughs> it was a 15, and I had 18 ounces on the back. But I quickly realized that was a complete waste of time and money, so I went to a 12-inch bar with 13. All right. I tried, I tried I to put a little shoot, like doinker spacer on. I tried to well. shoot Sam okay. bow one time, and I basically had to pull the bow around myself just so I could get it in front of me <laughs> and not have the bar stabbing in the side. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, but, yeah. I got to, uh, I got to shoot Mike Schlosser's bow once, and it, it, it's very similar. He had like, uh, what was he it? runs thirty on the front, thirty on the front, and like eighteen on the back, and then yeah. he had eighteen on the riser. So I just wanted to see what it felt like. You know, I'm not one of those guys who's gonna be like, oh, this is gonna shoot spectacular. You know, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to see what 
what kind of input he's feeling. A lot of these guys tend to like, me over. You talk to a lot of the pros, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I usually end up about one to one now. And I'm like, well, it, it's whatever. Everybody holds a bow different. Yep. You know, it's yeah. just the same reason I can't, you know, if Rudy and I had the same draw length, I couldn't just hand him my bow, even though I know it pounds in the middle and I expect him to hit in the middle with it. Well, right. I mean, you are talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Broadwater's still know. shooting. I know Rudy can a, shoot, but. You're talking to a bow tag here. Yeah. Broadwater's still shooting yeah. six in the front or six something in the front. Because now he's doing like the little quarter weights and stuff, mm-hmm. but he's got six something in the front and twenty in the back, so he's still doing that that old like one three ratio thing, and he's still p- fucking pounding. So yeah, yeah. just depends. Yeah. The bow, every bow is different. I right? truly think people find what works for, for them. Like I think for like the first time, it was like a couple weeks ago. I called the and I was like, you know what, dude? Like, like I used to kind of make fun of not pros, but like just guys in general that were like they'd buy like the half ounces and quarter ounces and weights. I'd be like, whatever. Like, that's yeah. what your back bar is for. Like, but then it's like the other day I found myself going, man, like that one ounce was just too much. Like I need to like half of that. Dude, I have openly made fun of people for asking. <laughs> I know. For like and then Wendell's <laughs> like, quarter ounce too. I was Wendell's like, like, are you the fuck out of here? Wendell's like, are you serious, dude? I'm like, yeah. I just need like, I just felt, I just felt like I needed something like right in the middle. Yeah, and then I was yeah. like, you know what? Maybe I'll try a quarter ounce weight. <laughs> so this was funny. The other day, it was like not even that long ago. I I was telling Ben, it was just a couple days ago, in fact. I was telling Ben, I was like, man, I'm just having this problem. My shoulder wants to come up. I cannot, I cannot help it. And I think what it is is I just took so much time off this indoor season because there was no shoots going on. We had uh-huh. nothing to go to, so I just completely didn't shoot my bow. And then I picked it back up and shot the same amount of weight I had shot when I was shooting a lot. And I, my, I'm allowing my shoulder to come up, and I'm starting to lose my hold through uh-huh. my shot if I go along. He's telling him, I was like, I don't know what to do. He's like, well, you just need to strip all your weight off and start over. And I was like, I just decided to do my bow, man. This is like, <laughs> I have a shoot like tomorrow. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go pull new marks. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot impact different. And he's like, he's like, well, if you move your bar down, then that'll make your, your front seem heavier. And so that'll work. If you pull off the front, you just move your bar down a little bit, and mm-hmm. it'll make your front end seem heavier so you don't have to change your marks. I'm like, no shit. I've been doing it wrong this whole time. I always thought if you move your bar down, that it made your front end lighter. And so I always did the opposite. And I guess, I, I don't know, reverse psychology, it worked. I was like, oh, this thing always holds way better. I was like, I'm dipping out the bottom, moving my bar down. I'm like, oh, it's sitting right in the middle now. I always did it wrong the whole time. And then he told me that yesterday. I was like. It's like the power of placebo, well, man. I was like, right. I, guess, oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. But Ben's going to hear this and be like, like. The last six years. Ben's going to hear this and be like, I don't even remember saying that. <laughs> yes. So like, so like, uh, working in a shop. Have, how do you feel that's helped you with your game, or has it hurt you or helped you? Like, like, I think it's definitely helped because I've learned a lot more about the technology behind the bows, what does what, how to fix things. So if I, I just have so many more tools in my in my brain to mm-hmm. make a bow that, shoot for me and yeah. know why a bow is reacting a certain way than if I didn't work in a shop because every bow every bow somebody brings me is completely different whether it's set up right or not and my job is to make it shoot right yeah so I have to do so many different things to different bows to make them shoot right you know it's it, you probably remember trying to shoot a uh, tricon through paper that had floating yokes it would tear horribly to the right and you used to not be able to twist up the the yokes yeah to get that thing to tune a bullhole and now with the technology and the strings and stuff you can figure that out but i mean that's just that's just an example of what you've had how you've had to learn to adjust bows to get them to shoot good so i just have more so many more tools to make a bow shoot now than i did before i went into a shop yeah so like i know how to work on my bows a lot better i can basically you know I, I can set up my bow completely by myself rather than having to take it to a shop. And it also, it's really good for you to be able to have that knowledge because that's just your confidence, right? Because if you take it to a bow shop sometimes, and it's just for me, peace of mind, because I'm, at, I'm, I'm wanting to be at that level. I want to be at the top of my game, right? I, I want to be winning money. We want to win money when we go to these money shoots. I personally always kind of was like, okay, I'll give it to my, at the time he was my friend, but now my boss, give it to my boss, he'll tune it for me and then I'll get it back. But I don't know exactly what's all going into my bow at yeah. the time. What was done. What was done to it. Mm-hmm. And and not saying that it ever shot bad or, or anything like that, but I always I always had that interest like, okay, what's, it, what's he doing to it to make it shoot better and why is it shooting better? Mm-hmm. Where now I can do all that 
and I know why it's shooting better and right. how it's shooting and how it's coming out of the bow and all of this stuff. You so, know what even cam timing would feel like or yeah, advanced top cam yeah. or, you know, I know whatever. exactly what my bow is doing uh -huh. at all times and I can realize why it's doing something out of the field. Right. Like, oh, my cam timing's out. I know what right. what it feels like. Kind of do you, like, do you find yourself, like, helping people every day, like, just, like, do you ever have moments when you're helping someone and you're telling someone something and you're just, like... It, it keeps you accountable to yourself for what you're saying? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, do you teach lessons at all? I, the, the, the thing is, is that we don't have a range at all, so it's hard to do lessons. Like, right. the best thing for me to do for people is I always break things down for them, do the best explanation I can, because there are a lot of people that want to get into hinges and back tension. You know, back, They want to get into a back tension release, or they want to get into a handheld, something like that, but they've never seen one. They've never experienced it. So the best thing I can do is explain to them how they work in the most simplistic terms I can, because it's hard to explain somebody who's completely new to the concept, back tension. They're like, what? There's no trigger? You just pull and it goes off? I'm like, yeah, but... There's other reasons behind it, too. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I usually thing, tell yeah. people, like, hey, you know, if you're struggling with anything in your form, go shoot your bow, then come back with feedback and tell me what it is that you're seeing and what you don't like, and I will do the best of my ability to help you correct those things while you're here. I can't spend three hours with you doing it, but I can be like, okay, man, you need to get your nose touching the string. You need to get your anchor point down a little lower. Right. Um, right. You know, you're punching the trigger a little bit. Oh, yeah, I saw you creep a little bit on this. Um, same thing with, with hinge releases. They'll come in and they'll, I'll teach them how to do it. I'll work with them for a little bit when they buy it. And then I'll basically be like, all right, go shoot 100 arrows and then come back and I'll see where you're at from there. And kind of that, that deal because mm -hmm. we're not a giant shop. Right, I mean, we're we're smaller than the Bow Rack in Reading. We're smaller than Wilderness down in Sacramento. Um, so we just don't get a lot of that. Um, I don't know the people that are wanting the the lessons and the ability to teach them. Because I don't have a range right. or anything. I can only do what I can what I can do. Right. Yeah. Right. We no, but it, but it sounds like you're what you're trying to do. Like you're doing a good job of like at least you know even if it's shooting at five feet into a bit of yeah. or something. so I, uh, another question is uh what arrows are you guys shooting uh i'm shooting the eastern pro tours pro tours with uh 120 grain points yep 120 grain tungsten aae uh veins i was shooting aae veins i just recently within the last few weeks i i tried flex fletch the ffps yeah ffps right. 225s 225s you liking them I do. Uh, I don't. I couldn't really tell you if I notice a giant difference yet. I've heard that uh, the flex fletch do a little better in the wind. They don't tend to flutter, so that you get better grouping uh -huh. at distance and in the wind. I. I don't know. All I can tell you is I hate shooting the wind in general, and I expect arrows to move if the wind's blowing hard. So, <laughs> so I mean, like I, I'm trying to, I'm basically just tinkering. Like, right. You know, if I, you got an, if your arrows aren't getting affected by the wind, then you're shooting horribly wrong. I've shot AEs forever, and they always shot good for me. Like I have yeah. no issues with them at all. It was just kind of one of those things. Like I've shot AEs forever. Let's try out another brand that's Why been not? around forever, and I know they do good things. FFPs are great. Yeah, I ran 187s on my X10 uh, Pro Tours, and like those were. I got some 187s. Those were that was like a sweet setup, and then and then we've been playing around with carbon ones lately, and then uh, I, I then being a little bit lighter, I felt like I needed a little bit more steering, so I shot the the AEs and like, the two three max or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, those look good too. Yeah, Sam, what are you shooting? Arrow I'm wise. shooting um, the Eastern Pro Comps. Um, 380s, 380s, 120 in the front, and yeah. um, you're shooting the AEs. Yeah, the AE hybrids, 2.0s. Oh. Yeah, those are pretty sweet. I like them. They're really nice. Uh, they fly really nice. Um, I got my eyes on a set of Pro Comps. Those sound like awesome arrows. They're okay. For FIDA and other things of that nature, absolutely, hands down, the best arrow I've ever shot. But in terms of 3D and shooting into carpet butts and even into straw and stuff like that to get all beat up they worry me a little bit just because they're they are carbon aluminum you uh -huh. know so any kind of bend and flex there is going to make it it's going to break that down you know so shooting into a 3d target especially hard foam targets and have people hit your arrows and 
even penetrating a, a surface that's not flat would worry me a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes gorillas pull it. Pull it yeah, right, exactly. It, it, exactly. It, it is definitely a hard thing. Anytime you throw aluminum into a factor in an arrow shaft, it has the potential to bend. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you ever watch what an arrow does when it hits a target, it goes it, it, it pretty, yeah. pretty gnarly. Well, it's funny because the guys that complain about the cost <laughs> of X10s or Pro Tours, like, always are the same guys that, like, spend like a grand on a weekend to go like shoot some high like high end like long range precision rifle you made a really good point to me once though Rudy where you said it's like having racing tires on your vehicle and it's like anyone that knows like racing I don't but I do know that you go through tires like crazy and they're like if you want to perform you know you're going to buy a new set of tires And, and so that's you know I ponied up and bought X10s I mean we're spending like all this time and money on hotels uh, entry fees, and then like, and then we're gonna go cheap on the one component. That's yeah, crucial. Like, that's the ultra most crucial, crucial component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. even even down breaking it down even further into the knocks that you're using. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, like, if you have, if what you knocks have, you guys using? I'm just using G pins. G pins. G pins. I'm actually nice. using the their new Beeman G G style pin knocks, but they're kind of a. I'm not really familiar with what you'd call them, but they just came into the shop and I was like, sure, I'll give these a shot yeah, and see how they like do. Those old school. Uh, are you the new? You said the new boning ones? There are boning ones. They're boning, boning yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. I heard about those because like they're not bad. But the weird thing is that I think the Valley in them is a little bit more snug than like the Easton G pin knocks. Yeah. I actually had to reserve my string in order to make it so that they would mm-hmm. come off yeah, the proper. One. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of funny. You know, I'm but, shooting the Matthews uh, a 38 G2 and the center serving for that pretty hefty thick. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know Genox on mine, I'd have to reserve it, and I'm just too damn lazy. That's so. one thing a lot of people overlook is the size of their center serving compared to the yeah. to their knock. You know, explain it for the layman. Just you know, if you have a or if you have a knock that bites on the center <laughs> serving super hard, and you have to force that arrow off, I mean, that's just adding a lot of torque to that arrow. Yeah. So you know, like I'm lucky enough where I have a good buddy Bob Thurman. He makes great strings, and basically all I have to do is drop off my bow, and I hand him a knock, and he'll go through all the center servings until he finds a knock that or the center serving that perfectly fits that my knock awesome. and everything's you, different uh, what do you look for in a good center serving fit a knock center serving fit I want it to snap on tight but I also want it to be able to spin around yeah. freely I don't want it to like stop if I hit it and it stops halfway it's still too tight I want right. it to be able to freely spin if yeah. I, I want it to snap on I don't want it to just slide off if, yep. I, if I tap on it you know real like if I barely blow on it's it like I want the it, knock it, to fall it, off. it clicks but then you can yeah. just sort it of move clicks it and then you can slide it. it and even on my knock points when I tie top and bottom knock points I don't want it tight right because if I can't move my knock inside of that tight on knock set it's only getting tighter as you draw it back because that angle's getting narrower. So okay. you want a awesome. little bit of wiggle room. You said something that now is now peaking my nerd, my inner nerd. You said you tie a top and bottom knock. I tie a top and bottom. What do you do? Four on the top? Or oh, I'm sorry. I do four on the bottom, three on the top. Four on the bottom, three on the top. Is there a particular reason why? Is this no, Ben Hobbs? That's what I learned. Something bent. That's what I learned. But uh, Bob Thurman, he he's a research guru and he tinkers more than I do. Uh-huh. He, he is he's a phenomenal shot and he just does all of that tinkering stuff more than I do. For one, he has way more money than I do to do it because he actually has a career and invested his his years in getting money. Uh-huh. So he can he can buy all this stuff that I can't to tinker with. <laughs> I mean, like, like literally, he he can take he can take an ACC, he can take a Revelation, and he can take a Super Drive uh, Super Drive 19 and get them all to impact the same with two different ARS just because he bought that AE Quick Disconnect. Wow. I've literally seen. I've gone over to his house, and he just shoots all three of them. And they impact in the same dot because <laughs> he has the spines that perfectly. Yeah. Because he is that. Right. I have. Meticulous. I have. I have been like every outlaws for like the last four years. Like we're always on the same target on the second yeah. day. Always. Same. Yeah. How do you talk? He's a good knock, dude. Yeah. Knock points. I, my knock points. Um, it really depends a lot on feel and like how I how I want my arrows to come out of the bow. You uh-huh. know, so like my knock point usually is going to be centered kind of how we were talking earlier where we have it the arrow wanted to go perfectly straight through the burger hole uh-huh. and as I'm shooting more and the way I like to shoot I find that a little bit higher up on like, do you do like top uh, it tends to work for like me like four on the bottom but, yeah I'll put four on the bottom and I won't tie in top that's and, how I do it yeah and mostly it's just because as far as I've shot I haven't really seen a need to tie a top right you know? well I as think well at like, this point I think what we're getting down to is like really splitting hairs and like mm-hmm. feel all, all, you know I think right. we're getting towards like things yeah. feel, feel all I can say way. is I tried because Ben always ties just bottom knock point and I tried that in my D loop 
I think it's just the way that these bows are being machined now, right? We have the grips lower than the center of the bow. Yeah. And so you're adding different pressure onto that string. So if, if you have it underneath a certain spot, you're probably pulling more on your top knot, which is going to cause your knot to slide the down, thing. and it's going to pinch right. your knot. Well, the, the, so, easiest, the easiest way that it was explained to me was, um, like, when I actually, when uh, I went to the dealer school at Hoyt, yeah. uh, when I first got started, and uh, they, they, um, should have this diagram where they showed you how like tying a knock on the bottom right uh, or tying a knock on the bottom would like basically correct or like change induce tears. a tear yeah. you know mm -hmm. and then if you were to like put put it um, the knock on the top like it would give you the opposite result so you could actually yeah. like bias that if you weren't getting results just by through cam timing and moving your rest you can just tie the knock differently but the one thing though that for me like when i tied a top knock and, and a bottom one like it always felt like the the d loop was too wide and it just held like like garbage for me so recently i found this material on 3d no, not not the. I know you're gonna say it's not the BCY 3D because I always used to use 3D. There's another uh, material from BCY um, that it's not 62XS, but it's one of their uh, or one of their other. Um, it, it's actually just a little bit thinner. Yeah. And it and it's braided like like the. Um, oh God, I'm, and that feels dumb for. I don't remember what it's called, but I you're killing me. I do I a know four knock. <laughs> I do four on the bottom. And then, and then I'm able to do two on the top, like just two knots. That's just and, so small. And then when you melt, like when you hit it with the lighter and melt it in, like it is just enough so that you don't get any pinch from the top of the D loop, and it feels just like I only did that bottom knot. Well, and that'd be perfect. Like so, like like what you're saying that it does feel wide, and the other problem you have too is you're adding so much torque right there that yeah. you end up sliding your center serving up. Yep. You get that center serving separation, which has always been a big issue. Bob and I have tried Majesty, we've tried Power Grip, we've tried oh, every. Yeah. I'm gonna take every, a picture of it and I'm gonna send it to you. I've I've separated serving on every every string. Yeah, I've ever and, and I and I just I think that's bound to happen. The the biggest thing for me is I do not like things that move like if things move they're out of, off my bow I don't right. care if they yeah. move they're gone and the thing is, is that when I had I tried to do it the way Ben was saying and the way a lot of people do it, bottom knock point but I had my knock pinching after about 10 shots and yeah I don't care it's true any kind true. of knock pinch if it's not the same knock pinch every time your arrow is gonna shoot different yeah I'll show I'll show you right now on my bow but it, the materials like it and it's cheap too it's not it, it just but it's made of BCY and uh, I just go a little heavy on the bottom and then like literally two knots on the top and then like one, the one like smaller knot in between it to kind of tie it together. Yeah. And it, and it's just enough. Like, in fact, if you were looking at it, unless you were looking at it super carefully, you wouldn't even see that there, that's even there. That's cool. You know, that's some, that's some stuff. Oh, and that, that cleaned up some stuff for me like so well. I got a couple yeah. more nerd questions for you guys. Uh, on the D-loop note, like what kind of material you guys running for D-loops? Uh, I'm just using the BCY24. God damn it. And, and what about you, Sam? To be perfectly honest, I have actually no clue. You're using, <laughs> you're using BCY24. I'm God pretty sure damn. I am. I actually just found it on the, on the bench. I'm going to mail you guys some <laughs> dealer material. Not that it, you know, you guys probably already shoot better than I am, so <laughs> don't matter. But uh, <laughs> what, what are you shooting? I'm shooting Spectra. Spectra? I've heard of Spectra. I've never, I've never used it, but. Yeah, dude, I, I saw uh, Chris Perkins did a thing about, he's like, oh, I've been shooting this, and originally um i've been a huge fan of bomar's got some kind of d-loop material that burns real nice and it's really soft and uh, coach mel told i can't remember who he told if it was me or i think it was me and you when we were in uh first dakota classic yeah he told us that you know like really short d-loops mm -hmm. people or, or stiff d-loops yep. you can see the string move yep. on Talk people that are inconsistent with their hands you know yep. so he said a lot of pros run like a long d-loop or soft material spectra is really soft so and that's I why to, I use that 24. It's it's pretty soft. It's pretty know, soft. How soft it is compared What's it, to what your, millimeter, two millimeter. Uh, I think it's two. Two. Yeah. I I recently got some uh, D braid 1.6 millimeter. Okay. It's a little bit thinner. Yeah. I like I like I like it. The, the softer and the and the I think it's the better because like Wendell's saying, you know, it, yeah. it doesn't create that torque on your string. No, if you no. if you pull back your bow and somebody grabbed your string and and felt how much tension there is on that string, it's not a lot. It doesn't take much to torque that string. Right. Full so especially off. after there's cams are turned over. Yeah. There's not yeah. a lot of pressure on that deal. Yeah. You just so. go. You just tell someone to go to full draw, 
right and have them center their peep and then just walk up with your finger and just tap the string like that yeah and then see how much that thing moves and then they're like oh okay yeah <laughs> i yeah. get it a lot of people don't understand that they feel the tension at the bow with that's on the strings and cables at rest yeah. they're like oh this thing's tight this thing will never move i tell you pull it back and then you basically tie knots with their strings on the bows on there you know Hey, so I got two more questions for you guys, and then I'll let you guys go because we're actually getting getting up to an hour. This is like normally me and Rudy have been doing like thirty minute podcasts, yeah. But this is like been so much fun. This is a nice long drive podcast. I like I like hour long podcasts. Well, Alan yeah, that, that and that and you know Alan's over here looking at us and <laughs> making faces, giving us weird looks. <laughs> so uh, one question is, how often do you guys practice? Oh, no, I'm going to be crucified after this. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of, like, how often I practice, it's a shamefully, low, like, low amount. I used to practice every day when I wasn't, you know, working and going to school and doing that stuff. But now it's really, and Austin knows this, I'll practice when I hear about a shoot. Mm-hmm. So, like, he came up to me one time. He's like, oh, yeah, you're shooting the, the warm-up. It's in two weeks. And I was like... Okay, sure. Grab my bow, together. tuned in, start practicing. <laughs> it was like, yeah, no. I mean, I just picked up my bow really to start shooting it about maybe at most a month ago, which is shameful. But um, when I'm really on my game, really shooting well, I'm usually practicing at least once every other day for maybe however many arrows I can shoot good. You know, so usually it's in the realm of eighty to ninety arrows before I'm starting to shoot right. a bad arrow every now and then. It's know, about a field round, stop. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. How about you, Austin? Well, uh, for me, it's it's kind of difficult. Indoor, obviously, I practice way more. I pretty much shoot every day if I can because I can shoot in my shop. You know, you only have to have 20 yards. Uh-huh. You can shoot in the night if you have if, in the dark if you have light. It doesn't matter. You're shooting indoors. Right. It is what it is. I'm a firm believer that shooting indoor will make you a better shooter. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it, build, it builds your foundation. If you can shoot 300s, and you, it builds your foundation, especially even going into outdoors because your form, you're building your form up, yeah. yes. and then you just take that outdoors and build upon that for outdoors, shooting your uphill, downhill. You might have to shorten your draw length a little bit, but it's a great – it gets that repetition because if you're not doing the same thing over and over in an indoor, you're not shooting 300s. So you said something to me one time, and I, and I thought it was crazy. Like, I'm like this kid is out of three quarters of an inch. I think I remember that. He's like, <laughs> so you you go like, because like I've heard George Riles tell George Riles tell people like, yeah, you know, you shorten your draw length a little bit, you know, for indoor. Like if you're shooting a you know 23 diameter arrow when you're truly trying to hit that that you know that ten that you know inner ten, you know, and then on a Vegas round I'll lengthen it a little bit to. You know, um, yeah. you get a little more relaxed. Cause all you got is hit that ten, yeah. and then and then Austin's like, yeah, you know, I run it short and long, you know, long. And I'm thinking, okay, he's like adding a couple twists of string here, and then he tells me he's like three quarters of an inch to an inch in drawing. Then <laughs> I'm like, uh, damn. So I could have very likely said that I am known for saying things that are not like I mean to say one thing and I definitely say the other thing. Yeah, I definitely so, don't so go three. Clarify, I definitely don't go three quarters. I've been telling I've been telling people that just like, so you know after Austin he told changes you his drawing three yeah, inches. He turned around and he goes, I can't believe Rudy bought that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I was like, just watch Rudy's going to come to Spenceville or spring warm up with like a 26 inch draw. Rudy's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, it's working out really good. Dude, I love hey, this new draw thing. thing. I hold so good. It don't, it don't affect me. I've just been telling people what you're doing and then they're like, so. what's wrong with this kid and he shouldn't be shooting me. No, I meant, I, I probably, I could have very likely said that, but I, I mainly fluctuate a quarter inch, maybe even not even that quarter yeah. inch is kind of a little bit longer so like i usually run 29 and a quarter and then i run anywhere from 28 and three quarters to 29 inches just depending on my hold if i like mm-hmm. get my hold where i want it i just keep i just twist up my strings until i get it to hold till it feels good yeah i just i just go off of sheer hold if i if i go out one day and i'm trying to shoot up hills and i know i can't hold uphill i just shorten it up a little bit until it feels good because yeah. i don't want to be i don't be, want to be way too short and cause way too much torque but i also don't want to be way too long and not be able to do any kind of uphill shots because that's where you're gonna bleed out bad yeah if you can't hold uphill you know shooting this 3d stuff safari style there's always uphills oh yeah yeah unless you go shoot yellow then it's like shooting on a platform <laughs> it's nice <and> flat. <laughs> yeah it's perfect uh my last question for you guys uh is who are your biggest influences in archery as far as 
I mean, you could you can answer this question however you want. I always answer it. Like whenever people ask me this, it's always as, as gay as it sounds. It's always Emerson because he's always the guy that's been like a really positive influence for me. Or Mark Rubio. Or Mark Rubio. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those two guys. And Ben Hobbs. Every time Ben's talked to me, I've been like hanging on his words. He told yeah. me today that he's very disappointed I'm shooting Matthews Bowen. <laughs> me broke, too. Broke yeah, my fucking too. heart. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a little, I mean, granted, like, you know, I got you that bow, I'm like, still my Yes, heart. you did. I just, my I love... My heart kind of like a... Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, I just love that bow. I, I've always loved Matthews bows for some... They're a good bow. For some fucking reason. I've tried them, I just can't shoot them. You could... I, get, I, I bet can, a million... I, cannot, I, I bet, bet six million dollars... I bet, I bet you... could fucking shoot one. I bet you a million dollars I couldn't shoot one. I bet you I bet I you could shoot a 918 at least with an infinite edge. Okay, so If we I, gave you enough time to I can, fuck around I can with shoot it. that bow. I could shoot it. I could shoot arrows with it, but I couldn't shoot it very long because of the way the riser's designed and how I hold my bow. That mm. riser, where it's flat, right. right where the grip goes in, it digs so bad into my bone. It's too perfect. I cannot... It hurts. Yeah, it, I know. It, it hurts so good. Yeah, they're too good that I just can't shoot them. Right. Back to the question. But then, Hoyts dominate everybody else. <laughs> They're okay. Um, so, uh, Sam, why don't we start with you? Who are your biggest influences in archery? Just like, who do I look up to kind of thing? Or like, just How, people I talk to, people I like to talk however to. However you want to answer it. Like, you know, who... Like who? Do, who do you look up to in archery? Like who? Like yeah. like who really like when they're when they're talking or Same, you just someone that you like? Whatever. Just who do you, who yeah. who inspires yeah. you in archery? Pretty much everyone who shoots better than me. You know, that's the kind of way I look at it. You know, anybody who shoots better than me has better like better form, shooting higher scores consistently. I kind of take it like there's always something I can learn from them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I put it this way: if I place third, second, and first, I'm definitely going to learn something from them. Yeah. You know, there's something that they've figured out that I haven't quite figured out yet. You know, but like everyone sitting here, everyone in that room, you know, <laughs> I look up to everybody. You know, because it's kind of that thing. There's always, even if the person's not as good as you are, you know, it's the kind of thing you're probably going to learn something from that person. Absolutely. You yeah. know, but in terms of like the people that are like, I always like tune in to try and listen to those people. Um, it's a lot of the older pros. You know, like there's a like a local legend up here is Matt Sievertson. You know, he's yeah. been everywhere to shoot and he was back during the bow hunter freestyle days you know he's shooting world championship scores with that kind of stuff you know so i listen to him with a lot you know and then i'll go like ron peary because he's been in it for so long you know um i'll look at like i got to have a pretty lengthy conversation with mike schlosser when he came over to reading one time just talking about that kind of thing because everyone shoots in a different way it's such a personal sport that i I, i'm a firm believer that you can learn from everyone absolutely but yeah it's kind of the way i do it you know yeah i agree 100 percent that's a good answer. What about you, Austin? Uh, I definitely look up a lot to my dad. You know, even though he, I've surpassed him now. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> no, no, I just, I, I mean, I really do look up to him. He was really a good shot. Do you still live at home? Yeah. Can he claim you on his taxes? Yes. <laughs> All right. That's good. And then you're worth, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can say that and get yeah, away that, with it. Yeah, that's worth the rent. Okay. Yeah, it's worth, <laughs> it's worth, it's worth, the, rent it's worth the free rent right now. <laughs> Don't want to lose that. That's uh, awesome, though. Yeah, but, Dad. But no, I really, I really do. You know, he was, for the longest time, you know, he was always, he was always up there with the top shooters. He was always shooting really good, you know. Uh-huh. Um, he's always chasing Ben Hobbs. I think he said Ben's the only person he never beat that he wanted to beat. Uh-huh. Um, but he got me into the sport, you know. He's taught me a lot when I was growing up, uh, you know. And he really the biggest thing that has prevented him from shooting still really, really good is just his career. You know, he went from mm-hmm. being a, a paramedic for 10 years over in Ireland, and he had the West Valley range like five minutes away. He could just drive over there, shoot his bow all day long, and that's how he got to where he was, shooting really good. It's just that consistency is still shooting. Um so I do look up to him. He's taught me a lot. I look up to Ben Hobbs. Uh, you know, he's kind of one of the first uh, big name pros that I kind of talked to. I was still young, didn't really know much. What's what's cool about that club is that there's so many like great oh, shooters yeah. out of that, that club. Oh, you know, yeah. Like the first time I came to Reading, first time I did Outlaw, it's like Randy Tucker. And, and Ben and those guys are just like I was just like man those guys shot that good and you're just those like, guys are giants that is phenomenal you know, like it was those such guys are, a like Ben, Randy all, and you know Mark those guys are all giants in our sport and they are right there those guys oh, yeah. we can go yeah. ask if questions you want, you know? if you want the technical side of archery Randy Tucker has almost all the answers that guy yeah. that guy knows his stuff when it comes to technical side of the bows and I mean really there's been so many people that have had a huge influence on on 
how how well I've been shooting, you know. Uh, Randy Raglan is a big one, you know. He's the guy who actually really helped me get over target panic. Yeah. You know, he helped me get over that 900. He helped me a lot when he was sh- when we were shooting Outlaws together for the first year I ever did. That is you know, so cool. I mean, even though Randy is pretty special, uh, I haven't heard anyone ever say anything positive about Randy Raglan ever in my life. <laughs> so that is he's amazing. a good shooter. No, I love, I love he, Randy. He he really really did. And he's I, a, he's I honestly, a little special. I thought he was a bit. He's, he's a little special. He's a little special. He's a little bimbo. special. <laughs> but I, I but we love we love Randy. <laughs> I can honestly say that I probably wouldn't be shooting as well as I am if Randy didn't take the time to help me. Yeah, that's awesome. Figure my stuff out. And that's funny because like every person that you've you've mentioned there, like at some point, like like has helped me out too like it's like these guys like out there do they're just so helpful (laughs) to everybody Uh, yeah they uh, the thing is is i mean randy learned a lot from russ russ was in the sport forever and one of the best i mean honestly if you look at russ's resume he's a phenomenal shooter and so you look at how how their knowledge has been based upon all of those guys and who Russ learned from and then passed that down to Randy who then passed that down to me. You're getting so much more knowledge. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some of the stuff might not might not uh, relate to modern day bows, but yeah. still it, it's all just the form. YouTube is great and all, but like when, when the guys right there are like showing you, it's yeah. really you can't different. beat the hands-on stuff. So, yeah. I mean, like Randy Tucker had a huge influence, you know, everybody's kind of pushed me and encouraged me to do it. Seneca, you know, Seneca and I, you know, I've been shooting with Seneca for a long time, and I I remember the first time I went to the bow rack to shoot indoor leagues. Yeah, I just I just got my license, and so we were driving back and forth to go shoot indoor league, and I showed up, and I was shooting pretty good scores, and all of a sudden he's like, "Holy crap, who's this kid that just decided to show up to indoors?" And it just became like this bond where we would push each other during indoors to shoot better. He'd be like, yeah. he'd be like, "Dude." Calm yourself down. He'd always say, "Yes." <laughs> yes. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I'd be a millionaire. Right now. And you know, when he's when he's shooting bad, I like Seneca. You, you need to suck it up and start shooting good. Dude, he's like, so don't let me kick your butt today. And you know, we really we really have a, a really good relationship. I know exactly what I'm going to say to Seneca tomorrow. Yeah. Down in uh, down in Oakland, we're all very like very positive reinforcement like hey it's alright you got the next one like you did good <laughs> say Seneca was like we suck today and I was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'd, we'd, be literally, we'd be literally shooting Redding and I'd shoot and I'd miss and he goes you suck he, yeah. goes, he goes you're being a punk you need to pony up and, and you, you know, should go thanks Seneca and, and every time he's, we just laugh and you know knuckle bump and just, it, it is just what it is it's just it's just fun when we shoot together because we just yeah. we just have such a good time we, we're on the same le- level as far as you know uh, funny stuff we can say to each other. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that. Having oh, strong cool. shooters around you to push you—that really is a, that's a big key. plus. That's key. Being around strong shooters. Mm-hmm. Well, I gotta say, man, uh, before we get too uh, crazy and out of hand here, and we get completely uh, <laughs> banned, hour long banned off of iTunes for all the the foul language here. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you guys for coming on. This was really great. Yes, Seriously. Yeah. Thank you no both. Yeah. I've been talking about you guys. Uh, I mean, as, as well as Drake Taylor is, is another oh, yeah. one of the youths that right. is shooting really. I keep saying youths. So you guys are all adults. To me, you're uh, youths. Up-and-comers. Yeah, up there, there's always, you know, there's always the generation under that's coming up. And it's like, you know, you're talking about there's kind of like a lineage of knowledge that goes on here. You know, you guys are the this new pool you guys are the new the new sharks yeah. you know mm-hmm. so it's it's really cool I'm glad you guys came on because uh, it's always great to hear what you guys know just remember you're the sharks but we're the whales <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and with that we're the, I'm gonna we're say we're the bloated whale thank you <laughs> thank and you let's wrap it up man thank you guys right. for having thanks me for on. coming on yeah. thanks bro thanks bro that will conclude this evening's entertainment